You're listening to the One Man Show Network. Welcome to the Aaron Says What Podcast with your host, Aaron Weinbaum. Hey kids, and welcome to another episode of the Aaron Says What Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Weinbaum, and today I will be interviewing Damon Martin. I'm going to try to get him on the Skype machine right now. Hey everyone, I'm here with Damon Martin. We had some uh, technical difficulties, I guess you can call it that. Uh, first, my wife calls me to look at paint cans, and then I can't get the Skype to work. So uh, anyway, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, man, no problem. So I've been a fan for a while. I've seen you on, on Twitter here and there, and then I saw we had like a mutual friend or two on Facebook, and I said, like, what the hell, man? I'm going to look this guy up and uh, and see if I can have you on. So, um, well, first of all, how was your Thanksgiving? Oh, I was good. Pretty uneventful, you know, just a day to relax mostly and then uh, gear up for the fights this weekend. Whenever there's a fight coming up, you just don't really get to enjoy the holiday as much because you're always kind of in fight mode. But yeah. uh, but overall, not too bad. Awesome. Yeah, I only caught like the main event. I had to uh, I had to go to work that morning. I knew if I get up in the middle of, a, of the night of the night, I would not go to work on a Saturday, probably. But um Man, I that I am mixed about that because what a stud, first of all, for fighting on short notice. But I mean, you were just concussed by the best in the world three weeks ago. I mean, what do you think about him, uh, Michael Bisping, rather, fighting so soon against Kelvin Gastion? Well, you know, I mean, listen, hindsight's always twenty twenty. You know, yeah. I mean, there was concern, of course, when he took the fight to say, hey, he got a 30-day suspension. He probably shouldn't have been fighting. And, and the intelligent decision, you know, should be on the UFC to say, hey, you know, listen, we appreciate you trying to take this fight, but, you know, you just fought, you know, a week ago. Maybe we shouldn't let you fight. Uh, so we can all say that kind of stuff. But if Michael yeah. Bisping had won, if he had pulled it off, then we would all be talking about, oh, my God, what an incredible performance. Right. I can't believe he came back and pulled it off. So it's always one of those things where hindsight is twenty twenty. Do I think he should have taken the fight? Probably not. Uh, not only because of the damage he took in the GSP fight, but because, you know, it was coming back so soon, yeah. you know, no time to really prepare for that. Kelvin Gastelum is a dangerous opponent. Uh, and, and I think, you know, it's not, and it's not even Michael Bisping being saved by himself. You know, he wanted to take the fight. He called Dana White to take the fight. It should have been the UFC. It should have been Dana White to say, we love you. We appreciate you. Right. You always step up for us, but you know, we just, we just can't, we just can't have you fight this soon. Yeah, man. That, that was tough to see because, you know, he's I, he maybe have one more fight in him, I guess, in London in March is the plan possibly. But, I mean, man, you just go from one loss to the greatest of the world. You go to another loss three weeks later. I mean, not a, not a good November for him. And then, you know, you hope he's got a, a fight lined up somewhere for a swan song. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's, you know, Bisping's a warrior. He, he, he wants to go out there and fight. And I don't fault him for wanting to wash the bad taste of a defeat out of his mouth that just didn't go his way. But, uh, as I said, you know, he's a warrior. He's going to be back. I'm sure he's going to have his final fight. There's already, you know, some, some options out there for him as far as who he could face as an opponent. Uh, and I think obviously Michael Bisping has earned the right to go out on his own terms. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we'll see what happens, you know, when he comes back next year. And, he, and you know, he made his name taking fights like that and short notice fights and everything else. So it, it, you're right. I mean, hindsight is 2020, obviously. Now, um, you are now, how have you been a mixed martial art journalist? Uh, I've been doing this since 2003. So about 14 years going on 15 years next year. 
Awesome. Man, now, so I have a lot of people, this is a lot of, uh, this podcast is a lot of, you know, how did you get started type things. And how, how does one become an MMA journalist? I mean, what was your journey? Um, well, I was, uh, you know, I was an English literature major in college. I went to the University of Cincinnati and I wrote for the student newspaper. So I was a journalist, you know, coming out of college. And then after college, when you're a journalism major, or in my case, I was English literature with a focus on journalism, mm -hmm. you realize really quickly that if you want to pay bills, journalism's probably not the way to do it. <laughs> uh, I was, uh, I was working at a couple places making like seven bucks an hour. I was barely making over minimum wage. And that's just, you know, that's the nature of the newspaper business at the time. Right. And there wasn't as much of an online presence. So I, you know, I took a job elsewhere. I was working, uh, and I used to listen to a daily show on MMAweekly.com called Sound Off Radio, a guy named Ryan Bennett, uh, who unfortunately has passed away uh, just a little over a decade ago. But I listened to his show every day, and at the time, it was the it was the MMA show. I mean, for everyone talks about you know what Ariel Hawani does right mm -hmm. now and, and other shows that are out, out there. At that time, Ryan Bennett was the show. I mean, that was the MMA show. It was on every day, and it was phenomenal. He had Frank Trigg as a co-host, and cool. uh, just used to listen. So, so actually, my my entry came originally was is that he was he was testing for a radio show co-host, and I loved MMA. I, I talked MMA. I I used to train at George Grizel's gym in Cincinnati, so uh, I I knew MMA, and so I called in. I said, hey, I, you know, I'd love to test this out. So you give a take, kind of like you know Jim Rome kind of style. You give a take on something. And at the end, it was the, the three finalists were me, a guy named Jeff Kane, and Frank Trigg. Uh, Frank Trigg ended up winning, and he, he became the permanent co-host, and, and right. rightly so. He was phenomenal in that. But afterwards, you know, Ryan kind of stayed in touch with me, and I reached out and said, hey, listen, you know, I love doing radio. Uh, that was something else I did in college, but I said, I'm actually a writer. That's, that's my primary gig. I'm a writer, and I would love to write something for you guys. And he said, okay, awesome. Well, you know, you know pitch me something, and let's see what we can do. And so I did, and he liked it, and they brought me on, you know, just writing. I mean, back then there was no money in it, so you just wrote because you loved the sport. Right. And, uh, and you know, lo and behold, I started writing, and then I started going to events and covering events. And, uh, you know, for a big part of my MMA career, it was unpaid or, or being paid very, very little to do what I did. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, about, you know, I mean, it, within, you know, within the last, you know, seven, eight years, you know, as the sport grew bigger and money became bigger, you were able to do this full time and that's what I've been doing full time for about the last, you know, five or six years. Uh, you know, as this being my only gig, uh, you know, probably over the last, you know, seven, eight years I've been doing this mostly full time. And then, uh, and then, you know, obviously, uh, you know, transitioning to where this is, this is all I do now. I don't do anything else except write about MMA. That's fantastic. So now I'm asked all the time, you know, how do you improve your social media presence? And I'm, you know, I'm okay in that arena. I'm decent with Twitter. I'm not as engaged as I should be with like the Facebook and all. I don't know why I keep saying the in front of, I'm not 90 years old, but how, how does one, like, what have you done to be so successful in social media? Cause you know, you have a nice presence on Twitter. You have a nice presence, obviously on Facebook. Uh, you know, I, you know, the thing I think, you know, really the biggest thing is engagement, you know, I mean, making sure that you're engaging with people, uh, you know, you're not just, you know, a, a link party. I mean, I know obviously when I put out links out there, I want people to read my stories. Yeah. So that's a big part of it. But making sure it's not just about that because, you know, I think people on social media see through that. If that's all you're doing, they're going to know that you're just, 
you know, you're just trying to get them to click on links to your stories. So obviously, like on event night, you'll mm-hmm. see on during UFC event night, like I tweet a ton. Yes, I'm tweeting out my stories about the fights, but I'm also tweeting pictures or I'm tweeting, uh, you know, just takes on the fights. Or, you know, if I'm sitting, you know, when I go to a fight, like I'll be at UFC 218, you know, sitting cage side, you know, interesting little things that you wouldn't see otherwise at the event, you know, someone walking by and saying something to media row or, or, you know, somebody, you know, limping after a fight that you didn't notice they were limping during a fight or things like that. It's really about engagement, giving people a reason. You basically, I guess the best way to say it is give people a reason to follow you, you know, beyond the, Hey, I just had a cup of coffee at Starbucks and, uh, you know, I'm about to go get a curler. Uh, you know, that's, you know, okay, great. That's, that's awesome. But give people a reason to follow you, whether it's you're breaking news, you're talking about the fights, you have an interesting opinion on the fights, you have some analysis on the fights, whatever the case may be, uh, you know, just be in, be engaging, give people a reason to follow you. No, that's, and that's so true. You know, I made a name for myself, just kind of commenting on, uh, trending hashtags and making jokes and this and that. And that's great. And I get a lot of engagement. But if I tweeted out that I wanted to borrow a dollar, I don't get anything. So people just kind of wait for the hashtag and the joke on that account. But then you go to these MMA accounts I have, like the Dana Unleashed and the Iaquinta <laughs> Realty. And like they hang on my every word because just be, it's just mainly engagement, engagement, engagement. And I have like a quarter of the followers. But, you know, those tweets will get three times the attention. It, it's crazy how that works. Yeah, it, it really is about engagement. I mean, it's about, you know, responding to people and making something that, you know, people want to, uh, you know, want to want to read, want to follow. And that's that's really what it comes down to. I mean, uh, you know, just making sure that, that people want to follow what you're saying or follow what you're doing. And if you give them a good reason to do that, whatever that may be, mm-hmm. uh, they'll follow and they'll be very loyal at that. Yeah, I agree, man. And I, I kind of went backwards. Now I'm trying to get people to engage more with my, my main Twitter account, you know, besides the jokes, you know, more with the podcast and the Facebook page I'm trying to launch and, and everything else. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's harder to go the other way. I mean, you should, it, I should have just started off engaging more and, uh, you know, now you live and learn, man. It, it, it is what it is, but you know, I, I'm, I'm happy where I am. This is not my career, obviously, but. I do want to ask you about something else. So I did some digging, you know, uh, before I got you on and it was really, I just went back to your Twitter the other night and you tweeted about Supergirl and it's so weird. I'm like, my God, I just got done watching it on, uh, on DVR. I'm, I'm a little behind on, on what I show, but you, I am intrigued by the nerd core movement. What, what is that? Uh, nerdcorepmovement.com is my own personal website, uh, beyond MMA. Uh, I'm just a huge pop culture geek. Yeah. I'm a big, you know, nerd. I mean, I've collected comic books since I was eight years old, still collect comic books to this day. Uh, you know, I just love everything about pop culture. And I kind of made a joke years ago, uh, because I work in mixed martial arts, but I'm a giant nerd and I have, you know, sleeves of tattoos. So you kind of, mm-hmm. when you see me at a UFC show, I kind of stick out like a sore thumb. I look like, you know, I, I shouldn't be sitting on media row with everyone kind of buttoned <laughs> down and wearing suits. And, and here I am with my, you know, sleeves of tattoos and gauged up earrings and stuff. So I made a joke years ago, uh, that I was nerdcore. It was a joke I made just kind of off the you know, cuff. I'm a nerd, but I was hardcore because I cover MMA. It was a joke I made at the time. I had no idea. Nerdcore was actually a, a style of rap music but i had no idea about that i thought i was being kind of creative uh but uh but i made a joke and said i was nerdcore and so then uh i used to write i used to do some writing for 
uh, Zachary Levi, who was on the show, Chuck, I used to do some writing for his website, the nerd machine. And I did some, uh, some writing for a couple of other smaller, like pop culture blogs. And it was just, you know, it was basically like, you know, when they could use me, you know, Hey, could you write this up? Could I write that up? And it's just like, I, you know, why am I doing this for somebody else when I could be doing it for myself? And so I had some friends, I, they helped me start up the site and, uh, you know, nerdcoremovement.com has been going since, uh, at this point, what is it, 2013, I think? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, it's just basically been, you know, it's a labor of love. I'm not really making a lot of money out of it. You know, it's really just I, I love writing about TV shows and writing movie reviews. And, uh, you know, I go to San Diego Comic-Con every year. You know, I cover that. Uh, and it's really just a matter of, you know, I love doing it. And uh, and I wanted a, I wanted an outlet to do it for. And I said, why not just do it for myself? So that's what I did. That's so fun, man. I mean, isn't that great? Like you're at that point where now you can kind of fund your hobbies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's and that's what I tell people. I said, you know, if you're getting into it, just like MMA, if you're getting into it just to make a boatload of money, yeah. you're getting into it for the wrong reason. Now, am I happy that I get to, you know, cover MMA for a living now and that's how I pay my bills? Absolutely. That's awesome. Uh, but so many folks that get involved in the business now, and I understand, you know, listen, I absolutely you should want to get paid for your trade. Uh, but a lot of people that come into business now just have an unrealistic expectation. So when it comes to Nerdcore Movement, uh, I don't think I'm Entertainment Weekly, and I don't think I'm you know one of the bigger websites out there. I do it when I have the spare time, and I do it because I love doing it. Would I love for it to become bigger? Would I love for it to you know do more? Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's just it's a labor of love. I love doing it. And as a writer, the best advice I always give people is if you're a writer. Write as much as you possibly can, and that will make you a better writer. And writing about Supergirl, as crazy as it sounds, <laughs> makes me a better mixed martial arts writer because I get my head wrapped around something else. I'm wrapping my head around something else that I'm writing about. And then when I come back to MMA, I have some new creativity, some new ideas. Uh, that's what writing is all about. Do it as much and do it as do as, as often as you can. No, that's, you know, that's such great advice. I'm so glad you said that because, you know, what I do on Twitter is just, it's a hobby for me. It's fun. But when I get out in the real world, I'm just sharper. I'm quicker. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, listen, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's all about, you know, it's all about comfort zone, but it's also about getting out of your comfort zone. You know, it's just like when I lost, you know, when I launched Nerdcore Movement, I had written some pop culture stuff, but obviously my wheelhouse is MMA. I, I, I know the fighters. I, I know the promoters. I, I know the managers. I know everybody. And I know how to write about that sport. Uh, you know, but I think that, uh, I, you know, I think that, you know, when I took on the you know, writing about pop culture and stuff, it was something different, something new that I was, uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit scared of because I didn't know that world. I didn't know that, you know, I didn't have those contacts. I didn't know that universe, but, uh, it was getting out of my comfort zone. And, and then as years have gone on, I've gotten way more comfortable about it. And I'm, you know, very confident in what I do over there on Nerdcore Movement, just like I'm very confident in what I do in mixed martial arts. So it is about, it is about being comfortable. But it's also getting, you know, about getting out of your comfort zone. Wow. That's amazing. Now, do you get to travel to all the events? Uh, it depends. I used to travel a lot more. I, you know, for I worked for Fox Sports for about four years. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, you know, as I'm sure a lot of people heard, is that you know they cut their writing staff of their entire website uh, back in June, and that included me. 
uh, and about you know 30 other writers, which is really unfortunate. Uh, but when I worked for Fox, I traveled to a lot of the events. I was on the road about you know a week or two out of every month. Since then, you know while I'm still you know plugging away and writing for a lot of different websites, I haven't been traveling as much because when you're kind of freelancing, which is what I'm doing now, uh, you're not really on full time any one place, so it's a little harder to travel. But it's mm-hmm. been kind of nice. But uh, you know I'll be at UFC 218 next week in Detroit. Uh, you know I'm sure I'll be at some cards coming up in 2018 as well. So I've actually had the last like five months off without a lot of travel, which has been kind of nice. Uh, but primarily before that, yes, I, I did travel to, you know, pretty much every major pay-per-view and then, you know, usually at least one fight night card a month, depending on, you know, what was happening that month. That's so cool. Uh, you'll have to let me know if you go to UFC St. Louis, I'm actually taking my kids. So it'll probably be the nosebleeders, but you know, I can't, I'm not going to get everyone box seats, but I have, I have five sons, four enough or old enough to go. And that's why I'm so, you know, we're all into the. You know, they're not as into the UFC as I am, but they are super into like the DC comics and, and the Marvel and, and all that stuff that you post about. So it's really kind of neat how we're both tying these things together. But um, now I got to ask you this since, since I have you on here, what did you think of Justice League? Uh, I thought it was pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was pretty bad. They, uh, you know, they, they just, they, they, they don't, they, what DC does is they don't seem to learn from their mistakes. You know, no. they, they made Batman versus Superman, which was a very dark, yeah. A very kind of ominous movie for a superhero movie. And the ending was rather stupid. And they yeah. tried to pack in way too much into one movie. Uh, and then in the Injustice League, they tried to you know correct the things that people complained about the most. It was too dark. It was not funny. It was just too, you know, it was a very, you know, you know dour movie. And they went in Justice League and tried to do a complete 180. They tried to make it funny. They tried yeah. to make it quippy. They tried to make it, you know, a little lighter. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And, it, 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 and in their minds, they're like, we didn't pack in too much. We got one <laughs> villain. You know, that's the focus. But the problem is, is, you know, they didn't give any kind of real origin story to the guys and girls they brought in. No. Uh, you know, the only established characters, of course, that we knew were, you know, Batman and Wonder Woman. Uh, but, you know, the Flash didn't get any kind of intro. Aquaman barely got an intro. We yeah. didn't have any idea of what they were, you know, how they came to be or what they were coming from. Uh, the villain was lame. It was a CGI villain. It was terrible. At no, at no moment did I ever feel like that villain was a threat. Uh, spoilers. Yeah. You know, I think everyone knows at this point that Superman appears in the movie. The way that Superman appears in the movie was rather dumb. Yes. Uh, it just, it was just a mess. It was just literally like all these things that they could have done better. They didn't do. And the things that they tried to fix while they did address some of those issues, like not making it quite as dark and making yeah. it a little more funny, it wasn't done in the way that you, you do it like with a Marvel movie where, you know, like, you know, when you watch Marvel Civil War, when you watch Captain America Civil War, it's a very serious movie. And the yep. ending in that movie is tremendous. And there's some lightheartedness to it. Like even during the battle scenes when Ant-Man becomes giant man and it did, you know, they're in the middle of a fight or, or like when Spider-Man is in the middle of a fight with Captain America and he said, where are you from kid? And he's like, Queens, like just those little throwaway moments that are kind of lighthearted and fun in the middle of a very serious scene to make it interesting. And with, with justice league, it was like, okay, we're going to make this very serious. And oh my, make, make, make flash say something funny, make him say something funny here. Uh, and, and that's what it felt like. It's like, okay, let's throw in a joke. Okay, now back to the battle. Like, they didn't make it a part of the movie. It just felt like, let's shoehorn in some funny lines to make people think this is a funny movie. Yeah. Well, like, how big of a difference do you think it makes? Like you said, like with the Marvel movies, all these guys just about were introduced in a different movie before they brought them all together. I think that makes a huge difference. 
Yeah, it does. And, and basically what Justice League is trying to do or what DC is trying to do is they're trying to catch up to the race that Marvel has already started. And so they're like, okay, if we throw out a Justice League movie, we introduce everybody that way, and then they yeah. can go into their individual movies. But the problem is, is that for all the problems of origin stories, like they redo origin stories for Spider-Man and so many characters over and over and over again, and you're like, okay, I, I know <laughs> he was bitten by a radioactive spider. Yeah. Let's get to the freaking movie. I get it. And that's what they did with Spider-Man right. Homecoming. They didn't go through the whole origin story because at this point we know it. But the problem yeah. is, and the reason why Marvel has been so successful Successful is no one really cared about Iron Man. Iron Man was not a big, you know, marquee A-level character. No. Captain America, everyone knows Captain America, but most people don't know Captain America's story, where he comes from, his villains. They just know the name Captain America. Uh and Thor, you know, same thing. So what Marvel did was is they gave us those origin stories to let us know who they are, where mm -hmm. they came from. And now, you know, as they get back in their stories, why we want to pay attention to them. And yes, everyone knows who Aquaman is. Everyone knows who the Flash is. Right. But no one really knows their origin story, not the casual audience. Right. So they failed on doing that. I mean, you know, OK, yes, everyone knows Superman's story and everyone knows Batman's stories. Those two stories, I get it. Everyone should know those stories. And they did, but then they ended up, you know, even with that, like they redid Man of Steel and they retold the mm -hmm. Superman origin story. Uh, you know, Batman, obviously, you know, they didn't retell Batman's origin story, but that was obviously a huge part of Batman versus Superman. They even showed it in clips at the beginning of the movie with his parents <laughs> being shot. So if you didn't know, you got to yeah. know it again. So, uh, but like, they, you know, like the like Aquaman, like where does he come from? Who is this guy outside? Everyone jokes that he talks to fish. Uh, who is the Flash? Where did he come from? How did he get these powers? These are things the casual audience doesn't know, and when you don't tell them that, they have no reason to care about these characters. There are a few things I liked. You know, I, I wanted to love the movie. I couldn't. I can't. You know, a few things I liked in there, but you're right. It wasn't a, it wasn't a very good movie by any means. I like the throwback music, you know, because that's when I was growing up, you know, I remember the Superman music and the Batman music and all that. And even my kids did too, because, you know, they were born in the two thousands, but like it or not, they're children of the eighties because of me. And, but me and my son, you know, no spoilers again, but I mean, we're going to have to get spoilers here. That fight scene at the end, my, my son and I, my oldest one, he's 15. We're like, you know, Superman could have just done this by himself. Yeah. Yeah, that was, and that was, well, that was the other thing is like, and that was the biggest problem with the villain in the movie is like, you know, even when they fought him the first time, yeah. they didn't really lose to him. It wasn't like they were losing. And then all of a sudden they're like, we need Superman. I'm like, what, why? Like yeah. you didn't, you didn't lose. Like what you, you, he, he, you beat him up and he ran away. Like what was, I don't understand. Like, you know, like if they, if they got their asses kicked, pardon my language, they got right. their asses kicked. And then they're like, we got to have, you know, we got to have reinforcements and, and then they go find Superman. Great. But that wasn't the case. So I was just like, what, what, what is the point of this? And then <laughs> the whole Superman thing was dumb too. Like they brought him back to life. You know, obviously at this point, I think everyone knows that. Right. Uh, but at the end of, at the end of Batman versus Superman, after they buried him at the end of the movie, right. you see the casket, like dirt raises off the casket as if to say he's already alive. Yet they had to go through this whole story in the movie about how they brought it back to life. It was just, like I said, it was like mind-boggling stupid as far as like some of the plot points that they unleashed in this movie. And yes, there were good parts of the movie. The Flash was, in my opinion, the best part of the right. movie. It was funny. It was a good addition. Ezra Miller did a good job. And I was very judgy because I'm a huge fan of the Flash TV show yeah. and I love what Grant Gustin does on there. Uh, so I was impressed by Ezra Miller's performance. I thought Aquaman, you know, was a little too bro-y for my, you know, for my taste. He was a little <laughs> too like, you know, jocular, like, you know, bro guy. 
Uh, but of course, Wonder Woman was awesome. I mean, Gal Gadot is like the one saving grace of this entire universe. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this, it was just a. That's the best way to describe that movie. It's just a mess. What? I was thinking that before you said that with the whole dirt raising up, like in the old death of Superman comics, he's like kind of like he's in like a healing coma type of thing. And then he comes back to life. Is that the gist of it? Yeah, they just well, yeah, they just they just, you know, and then, you know, there's, you know, uh, you know, they have, you know, in the Superman comics, you know, they had all these different people coming back claiming to be Superman until like the real Superman emerged. And, you know, obviously they're not going to do that storyline. But that was the problem with Batman versus Superman. Like they they made it. They made it so much into one movie. Like, okay, the movie is called Batman versus Superman. Okay, so, you know, they kind of had a bit of a conflict early, and then they had their kind of big battle towards the end. But at that point, you know, Superman was trying to bring Batman on his side. So it wasn't really a fight. He was just really defending himself against Batman, who in that movie was like a psychopathic villain (laughs) because he's, like, burning people in prison and, like, (laughs) not Batman at all. Uh, And then... And then, and then out of nowhere, at the end of it, they're like, oh, yeah, and by the way, here's Doomsday. We're just going to create him out of freaking thin air. And <laughs> he's gonna, I mean, it's just too much. And, like, they could have easily done that movie to where, you know, Superman, you know, there, there's a, there is a story in, in Superman, you know, they could have done almost like Superman Returns, as bad as that movie was. They could have just done a story where Superman leaves Earth. You know, he's, he's despondent. He's, right. he's, you know, he feels like, you know, people are against him and he's not doing good or whatever. Have him leave Earth. He doesn't need to die. Just have him leave Earth. And then he comes back and saves the day. Something. <laughs> you never know where these podcasts are going to go, man. Uh, but I love talking about this kind of stuff. Uh, now, since you're covering this event this weekend, are you allowed to make fight picks? Uh, I can and I will. I've done. I always do fight picks ahead of time. I don't mind doing that. I usually do them on Twitter or cool. uh, do them on my own podcast or whatever. Yeah, I, I'll do fight picks. Cool. We'll, we'll just go go through a few here. Uh, I, I'm just curious. Now, this one kind of breaks my heart a little bit because uh, I wanted to see Iaquinta fight, but we got Paul Felder versus Charles Oliveira. What do you think? Uh, that's that? that's a tough one because Oliveira is really really good. Yeah. I think he's you know pretty solid lightweight, but I do like Paul Felder in this fight. You know he's been training you know full camp. He's got good stand up. He's got to be wary of Charles Oliveira's mm-hmm. ground game. His jujitsu is really good. But I, I I lean towards Felder, although I will say that's one of those like not very confident picks. But you know mm-hmm. he has had a full training camp. He has been getting ready for the fight, and uh, and I think stand up wise he's very good. He just has to be careful you know not to get caught up too much. And in, uh, in Oliveira's ground game, I, I think Felder's the bigger guy. I mean, I know he is. And, you know, say what you want about Oliveira, but he's fought more at lightweight than a featherweight just because he never makes weight. But that last fight, he fought at 155. Who did he fight? It's driving me crazy because he ran through him. It was Will Brooks, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, he did. He, uh, he submitted him really quick. Yeah. So that surprised me. Maybe at that healthier weight, but I like Paul Felder. I, I kind of got to lean toward that as well. Um, Okay, the karate hottie, Michelle Watterson versus Tisha Torres. Uh, I like Tisha Torres in that fight. I think she continues to be one of those really underrated strawweights. I mean, you know, she hasn't had the most exciting style in the world, but I think when you look at her striking, her ground game, I think she is just a better fighter. Michelle Watterson is solid. Uh, but Michelle Watterson is undersized for this division. You know, she's not a very big strawweight. She was an atom weight champion in Invicta. And, and Tisha's not the biggest strawweight either. But I think when you look at their striking and you look at you know, volume and output, I think Tisha is just going to be able to outwork her over three rounds. And that's 105 pounds, right, she fought at? 
Yeah, she won 105 pounds in Invicta. She was the champion over yeah. there. Uh, and, uh, you know, she's obviously, you know, she's had some wins in the UFC. But I think when you look at level of competition, I mean, you know, Tisha Torres has fought a lot of really tough fighters. And Michelle Waterson's biggest win is over Paige Van Zant, And Paige Van Zant, in my opinion, you know, isn't really a top 15 strawweight. And now she's moving to flyweight. So it's like, uh, you know. I don't. I don't want to discredit what Michelle Waterson's right. done. I just don't. I don't think she's faced the level of competition that Tisha Torres has, and that's why I think Tisha Torres wins. Okay, I, you know, I'm gonna pick Michelle Waterson. I think skill wise, you know, I think she may have it. I she just got, you know, she beat Paige. She got murdered by Rose. I mean, I was actually at that event. That was cool to watch. I was. It was in Kansas City, but I I want to pick Michelle Waterson to come back and rebound. You know, but I think it's one of those things that could go either way. So, man, and these are my, you know, my non-professional opinions. So take them for what you will. But uh, all right, here's here's an interesting one. Uh, Yancy Medeiros versus Alex Oliveira. I believe. Yeah, that's that's a really good fight. That's actually a really, really good fight. Um, You know, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Cowboy Oliveira has looked really, really good. I mean, taking out Tim Means the way he did in that rematch was very impressive. That was crazy. And once again, if if the fight goes to the ground, you know, he's a very, very dangerous fighter. He's not, you know, he's not a slouch on the feet either. Uh, But I like Yancey Medeiros. There's just something about this kid, man. He's a grinder. He's a a big hitter. Uh, You know, he he obviously has that kind of Hawaiian fight spirit, which I love. He looked great in his last fight. Uh, I lean towards... I lean towards uh, Yancey Medeiros, but don't get me wrong. I wouldn't be shocked one bit if Alice Oliveira comes out there and takes him out because Oliveira you know, is legit. But these are two guys that both used to fight at lightweight. Yeah. They're now fighting at welterweight. I just, there's something about the toughness and, and the grit of Yancey Medeiros that I just really enjoy. Yeah. Uh, so I'm kind of picking heart overhead in this one, but there's just something about this. I like Yancey Medeiros, and I, I, think he, I think he can find a way to win. I think Alex Oliveira, like the first time I saw him fight at welterweight, it was a short-notice fight against Donald Cerrone, and Cerrone just ran through him, and I picked against him ever since. But he won ever since, you know? And that Tim Means fight was weird, but that second one, he just ran through him. So it's hard to pick against him. But then again... If you have to grow up with a name like Yancey, you're going to be one tough son of a bitch. So, <laughs> I mean, he, comes, he comes from Hawaii, and Hawaii is a fight culture. So, you know, yeah. I, I like I said, I, li- I like what he brings to the table. This is a fun fight, though. That's one of those kind of like dark horse, you know, dark horse fights that could be a show stealer. Yeah, I didn't like when Oliveira missed weight. Uh, but again, we're going back to Will Brooks. Uh, poor Will's had a tough time here in the UFC, but when he missed weight at that 155 fight uh, against Will Brooks, and he, it, it was kind of a dirty win, and I don't, I don't know. I didn't like that, but I, I think I'm going to go with Yancey on this. Mainly grit. Now, this one's going to be a barn burner. I don't know how I'm going to pick this, but Eddie Alvarez versus uh, Justin Gaethje. Yeah, that's a, that's an amazing fight. I mean, obviously, that's the one on paper that you look at and say this is definitely fight, and I oh, just yeah. go ahead and write out the bonus checks. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that's a that's an incredible fight. You know, I, in, in his first fight in the UFC, I, I picked against Justin Gaethje, and yeah. he's kind of held that against me a little bit. He he, he still <laughs> likes to hold that against me a little bit. Nice. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick against him this time. I think the power, I think the wrestling, and I think his style. You know, it's very much. You know, I think what Dustin Poirier did to Eddie Alvarez, where he got aggressive early and just mm-hmm. really put it on him. Now, Eddie survived and, and was coming back in that fight with Poirier, and then he had the illegal knees and right. everything that happened. Uh, but Justin Gaethje, I think, you know, he's tough to put out. He hits like a truck. 
he does have the wrestling in the background, and I don't think he's going to allow you know Alvarez to di- you know control the di- you know no. dictate the pace in this fight. So I like Gaethje to, to win in a firefight. I mean, much much like everyone else has predicted, this is going to turn into a freaking firefight. Yes. But I think that ultimately Gaethje just you know finds a way to win. Yeah, uh, there's not a fight that Eddie Alvarez is in where he doesn't get rocked unless he just gets the guy early and. Gaethje's not going to let up on him once he rocks him. I I I think he's just too much for Alvarez. Uh, Alvarez has been in some wars too, but you know I I got Gaethje on this. So uh, next one, man, these are such good fights, man. You were a lucky guy. <laughs> yeah, this is a great card. This is a really good card. That main card is ridiculous. Uh, the Reem Alistair Overeem versus Francis Naganu. Well, I mean, I know the hype is on Ngannou yeah. right now. I mean, everyone, you know, everyone's, you know, just praising this guy. And I get it, man. He's a big, physical, strong guy. Hits like a truck. You know, looks the part. You know, plays the part. You know, well-spoken. You know, he seems to, everyone kind of wants him to be the next big thing. But I think the thing people forget, and it's not to say he'll lose this fight, but I think people forget. I mean, he, he hasn't really faced a legit top 10 opponent yet. I mean, he beat Andre Arlovsky. And I right. guess at the time, Arlovsky was ranked like ninth in the world or something. But I mean, Arlovsky was, you know, clearly at the end of his career right now. Uh, and, 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 you know, I think, you know, we've all seen, you know, some of the you know big knockouts he's had during that time. Uh, and, you know, he just got back on a winning track in his last fight where he said he was going to retire. So, right. you know, I, I don't think beating Andre now is the same as beating Andre even two years ago when he came back to the UFC and put on that fight with Travis Brown. Right. Um, so, you know, as as much hype as there is around Ngannou, I think we all got to slow down a little bit. I mean, yes. he's now facing the number one heavyweight in the world, not named Stipe Miocic. And yes, you know, Overeem has had some, you know, up and down performances in the UFC, but I don't know. Overeem's preparation, his team, and I think experience, and the fact that the pressure is not on him. Everyone's just going out there expecting Ngannou to win. And he's going to face Stipe, and he's the next big thing, and whatever. But I'm going to stick with the old, the old favorite. I'm going to go with Overeem. I think the experience. I think that you know he, he's been in these moments before, and as good as Ngannou is, as raw as Ngannou is, he still hasn't fought. You know anybody that that it really truly makes me believe he's the guy. Now if he beats Overeem, I'll be on ban- I'll be on the bandwagon just like everybody else. But he's got to beat Overeem for me to do that because Arlovsky is not the guy. So that's why I'm still sticking with Overeem to find a way to win this. When he fights smart, you know, look at the way he fought guys like Roy Nelson. You know, guy who had power. Yep. He sticks. He moves. He uses his kicks. He doesn't just get into a firefight with the guy. And I think that's gonna that's gonna hurt Ingano because he's not gonna be able to just go out there and run through somebody. Let's be honest. Now Overeem's had. A bit of a uh, physique change here in the last few years, but I think he's adjusted to it. You know, you had that Travis Brown uh, getting the best of him. I think uh, Giant Silva got the best of him as well, knocked him out. But then, you know, as he's gone on through these physique, I guess you know, physique changes and whatnot, and you know, you know, well, you can say what you want, but he looks different. Am I right? <laughs> Since uh, the whole Usada thing. Yeah, I mean, he yeah, he definitely looks like a physically different fighter, but yeah. you know, he's trying. He's not alone, and I would no. say Overeem is one of the few guys who has made the adjustment to where he's still just as dangerous. Yes, he is, and and I agree with that. And you know, and you 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 expect these guys like Dos Santos. You know, you th- I thought Dos Santos was going to put hands on him, but putting hands on her and actually, you know, saying you're going to put hands on him and actually putting hands on him are two different things. You know, he's a very, I mean, he's probably one of the, he's probably the best kickboxer. In the heavyweight division, you know, Stipe's obviously he's got some some other skills, but you're right. Nagano's untested. I I can't pick against Overeem either. You know, I I think he's I think he's made adjustments. He's slowed down. He's with uh, 
I think it's helping that he's with Greg Jackson. I think he's still with Greg Jackson, is he not? Yeah, he is. Yeah, it's hard. I can't pick against him. So I think this ne- next one we may actually disagree on, though. Uh, Henry Cejudo versus Sergio Pettis. Yeah, this is a tough one to pick because, you know, Sergio Pettis has looked better than ever lately. Yeah. You know, you look at the way he beat Brandon Moreno, the way he's, you know, had a, a great winning streak lately. But, and I know obviously Henry was dealing with some, you know, dealt with the fire in California, yes. got his foot burned and, you know, on his way to Brazil. But I'm a big believer in Henry Cejudo. I'm a wrestling guy. I, you know, I love wrestling. Wrestling is mm-hmm. one of my favorite sports. And I mean, like, you know, collegiate Olympic style wrestling. Uh, although I do like pro wrestling too. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, I love, I, you know, and I think when Henry Cejudo fought, uh, you know, Demetrius Johnson, it was just way too much. It was just way too much too soon for him. He didn't, he didn't, he shouldn't have been in there when he did. And then he goes out there and has a freaking you know, battle with Joseph Benavides. I mean, that yes. was a close fight. You know, and Joseph, in my opinion, is by far the number two guy, you know, in that division behind Demetrius. Uh, and then his last fight, I mean, he looked outstanding. Yes. I mean, he just looked better than ever. His boxing's there, his wrestling's there. So I like Henry Cejudo to get it done. Now, don't get me wrong. Sergio is going to be a tough out, but I'm a believer in Henry Cejudo. I think, you know, give him another, you know, year and, you know, a couple, three more fights. And, you know, we might finally have someone legitimate at flyweight, yeah. you know, who could challenge a Demetrius Johnson, who's actually, you know, deserves to be in there and in there and actually, uh, you know, actually is a threat. Well, I, you know, I, I think Henry Cejudo, I, I don't know if this fire is going to be too much for him or not, because, you know, he's had tough weight cuts in the past at 125. And it just always seems like, you know, things mentally disturb him. And don't get me wrong, man. These Olympians, especially wrestlers, are on another level. But this is not, you know, this is not wrestling. There's a lot more to this. So I just think from the mental aspect, I, th- I think, you know, with that fire and everything else, he burned the bottom of his feet. I, I'm just going to have to go with Pettis. I, but don't get me wrong. If if Cejudo wins, I'm not going to be, you know, at all surprised. But that leads me to another question, though. Do you think TJ Dillashaw is deserving of a chance to fight Mighty Mouse at 125 pounds? 100%. And that's that's the biggest fight that that division could do. Hell yes. I mean you you don't you don't you don't get, you know, super fights involving, you know, bantamweights, flyweights and, and featherweights very often, uh, unfortunately, but you know outside <laughs> of you know Conor McGregor moving up from featherweight to lightweight, but uh yeah. I don't see how you can't do this fight. I mean, you know, TJ is clearly the number one bantamweight in the world. Demetrius is obviously the number one pound for pound fighter in the sport. He hasn't had a real challenge in years no. at this point. Uh, you know, I, I think it's time. I mean, this is that would probably the first time since maybe, you know, maybe the maybe the the Benavidez fight, the second fight, which obviously he won by knockout in the first round. But yeah. I think I'd go back that far since the last time where I looked at a fight and didn't, you know didn't already kind of figure Demetrius is going to win. Like I can make excuses for the opponents and say, well, this guy's got this or this guy's a chance here. But ultimately I picked Demetrius Johnson. I don't know that I'd pick Demetrius Johnson in that fight. And I think that's why it's got to happen. Yeah. I mean, you know, you go back to Ian McCall one and you know, where it was back and forth and then it was ended up being tied, but you know, they'd already called the fight. But you know, since then, I don't know anyone at 125 any anytime i think he's going to get challenged he just runs through the guy and he the way he wins is just crazy and then you got tj who is you know he doesn't get a lot of credit but he's a monster i mean you know that that fight with dominic cruz was back and forth um you know and then he just ran through uh a sun style he did you know he did very well against him he obviously he knocked out cody no love so yeah i mean that is a fight i would get up for for sure. Yeah, and I think that's that's what that's what Demetrius needs. He needs a big fight. He needs an opponent that actually will test him, and that's what TJ that's what TJ Dillashaw will provide. You know, in h- hindsight, 
like we said before, you know, he, he turned this fight down. Now it's a huge fight. You know, it was a big fight before. Now it is a huge fight because you had DJ who broke the record. You had TJ with a dominant win over his gym, you know, foe. So now it's a huge fight. How do you say yeah. no now? Yeah, it's it's a huge fight, and yeah, I, I think you know you you really promote that fight. That's a that's a that's a pay per view worthy headliner, and and that's what they need. They need that kind of fight. Yeah. Um. All right. Last card or last fight on the card: Max Holloway versus Jose Aldo. Uh. Well, I picked Max Holloway the last time. You know, I thought he was truly yeah. ready for that fight, and I thought he was ready to kind of ascend the throne, and that's exactly what he did. Uh, and I think that, you know, nothing has changed my opinion since then. I mean, I know Jose Aldo was getting ready for Ricardo Lamas, you know, later in the month of December, mm-hmm. but Jose has never been a short notice fighter, mostly never. because he's never had the opportunity to do it. But, uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, he's going from a, you know, a short stocky wrestler who he already beat, who you kind of feel like he was going to probably beat again mm-hmm. to, you know, back to Max Holloway. And I know he's, you know, Aldo is such a veteran. You don't really need, you know, six weeks necessarily to get ready for one opponent, especially no. considering he just fought him six months ago, but nothing, nothing in these last six months has convinced me that Jose Aldo is better than Max Holloway. And so, yeah, I see Max Holloway beating him again. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be a knockout or he's just going to outwork him for five rounds, but ultimately I see Max leaving with the title. Yeah. I don't, it's hard to pick against him. I mean, unless he comes in with a chip on his shoulder and and all technique goes out the window, I I think Holloway has this, but I don't think Aldo is going to take a fight that he's not ready for because as many as he pulls out of, I mean, I think he was ready for this. I think he was, you know, hoping for the contingency he could slip in there somewhere because you're right. He does not take short notice fights. I don't think he's ever taken a short notice fight. And, uh, you know, cause he, it's not the easiest thing in the world for him to make 145 pounds and he's got to make that on the nose in order to make this, uh, for the belt. So man, that, that's tough, but I got Holloway's just on another level now. And I think, I think Connor took some of Jose Aldo's soul. Yeah, it's just it's just one of those things, man. Like I said, you know, you get you get old in the sport really quickly, and you know, Aldo, you know, Aldo won the first round against Max Holloway, but then he really started to slow down. He got a little gassed, and you know, that's that's kind of been his mo before. You know, in the later rounds, that's when guys were able to come back on him. That's where Ricardo Lamas had his best performance. That's where you know Mark uh, Mark Hominick had his best performance. Was late, you know, fourth fifth round, yep. and you know, Max is a is an engine man. That guy doesn't slow down, and and you know, for for Aldo to win this fight, he's gonna have to hope. He can catch and finish uh, Holloway early because the longer this fight goes, the more it favors uh, Max Holloway. Uh, I mean, that Cub Swanson fight was sick. You know, it just went on and Max just got stronger and stronger. I really want to see him fight Frankie Edgar. I and I would probably picked uh, Holloway in that fight too. Yeah, I mean, Holloway, like I said, Holloway just looks like he's on a different level right now. I mean, the guys, you know, a lot of people are playing checkers, and this guy's playing chess. I mean, he's that good. His striking's on point. He's getting big and physically stronger. His his wrestling defense is off the charts. I mean, I think the Edgar matchup is interesting because, A, we haven't seen it, but also because Frankie is such a – it was such a tough matchup mm-hmm. because of his wrestling and because of his boxing. But, you know, like I said, that's why we see the fights. But again, nothing is, nothing has convinced me, you know, in these past six months that Aldo's going to be able to do anything different to Holloway than what he did the first time. No, me either, man. Me either. Well, man, I really appreciate you coming on. Like again, I'm, so, uh, I'm sorry about the technical difficulties early on, but I think we got her hammered out. You know, when in doubt, just reset your internet, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> No worries, no worries. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Like I said, anytime. More, more than happy to do it. Uh, where can everyone find you? Is there is there anything you want to talk about on the way out? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, check me out on Twitter, of course, at Damon Martin. You know, that's where you're going to find me most of the time. You'll find all my stories over there. Obviously, I'm writing for several outlets right now. Uh, so I always post my stories over there. I have my weekly podcast that I do called Fight Society Podcast. Uh, welcoming back my co-host, of course, uh, UFC welterweight Matt Brown. He co-hosted the show with me for about two years. Uh, he took some time off to, you know, kind of focus on his career. And now that his career is slowing down a little bit. He's going to be coming back and co-hosting the show with me, so we'll be doing a show this week uh, leading into UFC 218, so check that out. Uh, just search Fight Society on iTunes or on Libsyn. Right. Uh, we're over there, and we also have a Facebook page. We just search uh, search for Fight Society Podcast. All right, and I will definitely link that with my show notes as well. Uh, with that said, will you be talking about Matt Brown's fighting future? Of course. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. We were actually supposed to do a show last week together, uh, but with the holiday, unfortunately, uh, he had a death in the family, so oh, we man. weren't able to record a show last week. Kind of things got kind of messed up. So, uh, yes, we will address that on the show when he comes in uh, and we and we talk this week on the Fight Society podcast. Absolutely. All right. Well, fantastic, man. Uh, you know, holler at me anytime. I really enjoyed having you on and thank you so much. Absolutely, man. Anytime. Thanks for having me. All right. Goodbye. Bye bye. Well, that was uh, another fun one for sure. You know, I, I always get worried that uh, I'm going to get these guys on. I'm not going to have enough to talk about. But luckily, uh, we did. And I think this podcast will also appear on an MMA-only uh, podcast as well that I am doing for the Last Word on Sports Radio. So I am excited about that. And uh, you can check me out there as as well as some other guys. I will have that link available when it is ready but until next time, please remember to join the Facebook page, follow me, whatever it is, and uh, leave me some comments and feedback, and I always get back in touch. Until next time, shalom. Please remember to support the podcast by visiting the affiliate links on AaronSaysWhat.com. Are you looking for a permanent home for your podcast? Well, Spreaker can do it all. Spreaker will give you your own RSS feed that you can submit to other platforms, including iTunes. Spreaker's mobile app will let you record from your smartphone. Or you can use their web-based console with everything you need to record. Their podcasting plans include being able to host multiple shows at no extra charge. Got a YouTube channel? Spreaker's got you covered. You can effortlessly upload your podcast audio to your channel. You can even move your current podcast to Spreaker without losing any of your iTunes subscribers. Try any plan 30 days for free using promo code ASW.